play loud, loud today. I wonder if you could maybe turn the volume down. Yeah, a little bit better. Is that the, how's that? Okay. If anybody knows about these equipment, you can imagine where that's coming from. Nice to know. So, um, good evening. And uh, this evening I'm going to continue the series of talks on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which is a series of exercises that the Buddha taught, a series of practices, that was used to develop awareness, to heighten our awareness. And you might ask, why heighten awareness? Why develop awareness? Since all of us are aware already, and uh, all our waking hours we're aware in some fashion or other. And I'll give you um, an example from my life that will give you one reason why. When I was a Zen student, I would sit in the Zen monasteries, in the Zen temple, meditation hall, and um, you would sit facing the wall. Everyone's kind of around the perimeters of the hall, facing the wall. And you sit very straight in proper posture. And uh, the head, uh, the teachers would sometimes come around and they would adjust your posture. So in the middle of the meditation session, you'd be sitting there and uh, you'd feel this gentle hand go on the shoulder. And when you felt that gentle hand touch your shoulder, that meant they probably were going to straighten your back or you know, straighten you up a little bit. And um, so if I was uh, lost in thought and preoccupation, then when they came and they touched my shoulder, I'd be startled. If I was kind of clearly aware of the present moment, aware of what's happening, not preoccupied, the awareness was, was strong and clear, and I wasn't lost, if they came and touched my shoulder, um, uh, it was just like, um, it was just kind of nice. It was kind of like, I just would receive it. I would be like, kind of like, uh, uh, a grass blade in the wind, just like a breeze, just gently bend over or something touched. It was just kind of like, just very, very nice. There was, there was no startle effect at all. And um, when awareness is clear and established and they're not preoccupied, then it's kind of like we become more and more a clear channel in which experiences just come and go through us. And they don't, they, they don't hit anything. They don't get, get blocked by anything. Whereas if we're pre more preoccupied we are, the more we're attached to something, uh, more we're stubborn or resisting something tightly, the more likely that whatever, uh, that events in the world, experiences in the world, have something to s hit inside of us. And it might be much worse than the startle effect that happens, that uh, when that happens. So it's kind of like if uh, you are preoccupied with what people think about you. It's really important that people think about you a certain way. And then uh, people come into your view and they say something. They say that, you know, men with green shirts are inadequate. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, so because I'm preoccupied by what people think about me, the, that statement kind of hits something inside of me and I get it, it gets stuck there, get caught, or I pick it up, I get involved, and I get all kind of tense and ready to defend men with green shirts. 
the um, uh, but if I'm not really particularly concerned about that, but I'm just clear and open and kind of free, then that statement might just tra- travel right through me, like a clear channel, open channel. So the, the, the more developed the awareness is, the stronger it becomes, the less preoccupied we are, and the less we'll have any of these things inside operating that are the, the wall, which what people say, what happens in the life, strikes and hits. It's kind of like, kind of like it goes right through. Um, it has no place to land. And we might still, uh, you know, take care of things responsibly. It isn't like we're just completely aloof. But uh, there's not the startle effect or the resistant effect or the tightening up. Just things go right through. So this is one, one reason why developing awareness is so useful and why it's connected in Buddhism toward, to uh, inner freedom, spiritual freedom. So, um, so, the, uh, so one of the ways that this is emphasized or developed in Buddhism is practicing mindfulness and these, six, these 13 exercises. And the first six exercises are, uh, have to do with mindfulness of the body. And this is extremely important, in, uh, or val- important maybe is maybe the wrong word to use. It's extremely valued in Buddhism, the idea that you would be connected to your body, embodied. There's a story, uh, it's a poem from the very ancient times in Buddhism of a monk at the time of the Buddha who uh, wrote that if he could have one wish, his wish is that everyone in the world uh, got to practice mindfulness of the body. It's so important that that's his one wish because so much, so much wisdom, so much of the best qualities of human being come out when we're when we're really centered and centered in our body, connected to our body. Or another dramatic story is soon after the Buddha died, a man. I think maybe I said this before. Someone came. A man came to uh, Ananda, the Buddha's main attendant. Spent forty, twenty years with the Buddha, memorized many of his teachings and said to Ananda, now that the Buddha is dead, who is your teacher or who is your spiritual friend? And, um, and Ananda said, now that the Buddha is dead, um, mindfulness of the body is our teacher, is our spiritual friend. So rather than appointing a successor, Buddha didn't, did not appoint a successor. And um, since there was no successor, who's, who's the teacher? And to and say the body is the mindfulness of the body is is to put the body up, mindfulness of the body up at a very high level, like the great teacher, right himself. Um, and there is it's so important this mindfulness of the body that there's actually a whole uh, discourse, very very detailed instructions the Buddha gave, called uh, discourse on mindfulness of the body. And in this discourse. Uh, uh, one of the emphasis is on practicing mindfulness of the body is to practice in such a way that you develop deep, sta- deep states of calm and deep states of calm that come along with uh, beautiful experiences of, of, um, of uh, pleasure or delight or joy that saturate, pervade, drip through the body. That's the kind of ancient language they have, saturate and pervade. And... Um, I like to think of it as uh, when you sit and get into these deeper states of calm and well-being, that uh, your body feels beautiful. 
from the inside out, there's a tremendous feeling of beauty, a kind of a radiance that happens. Uh, and, you know, what you look like from the outside, it doesn't really matter whatsoever when you have this kind of radiance or beauty that kind of was welling up, kind of flowing through you, glowing from the, ins- the inside out. And this kind of sense of beauty or sense of, of well-being that can come through developing meditation practice is, is one of the important reference points for practice in the ancient Buddhist tradition. So the, the body was greatly valued and, uh, and appreciating jati, uh, the body, enjoying it, being, with, being present in the body. And so the insi- inside out, the body felt really good is part of the, the whole enterprise here. And um, so in this uh, f- uh, 13 exercises that we're covering over these weeks, the fourth and fifth one have to do with um, uh, beginning to uh, look at the body in a deeper way. The, the development of this process of becoming aware starts with movement. The, the things that move, when we move, that's kind of relatively coarse activity. And so we can kind of track the movements better. So one of the movements is the movements of breathing, the movements of our posture we talked about last week, and the simple movements of lifting your hand, putting on your clothes, sitting, you know, the different kind of basic movements we do. To know that you're aware and use that as a place to develop awareness. To go deeper, we sit still. And as we sit still, we begin looking into our body and seeing it in deeper ways. And the first way the Buddha talked about is conceptual, a little more conceptual that we use. That we, um, and the second is more non-conceptual. And so we go again from a, a, a grosser, a coarser state of mind to a more refined or quieter state of mind. To, to be living in the world of concepts is, uh, takes uh, brain power, takes brain energy and activity of the brain. To, go f- uh, to drop the conceptual level and drop into what's called the sensory level, sensation level, it requires less activity of the brain, and the brain, the mind, can get calmer still. But on the way there, the way that this, these exercises are described, the first one is conceptual. And it's done this way. I'll read it to you. Um, it's called, um, the, uh, uh, sometimes it's called um, mindfulness of the anatom- anatomical parts, parts of our body. And, um, and as with all this stuff, it's very interesting to see that in so many ways, the, when the Buddha gave instructions, he did it sequentially from that which is coarser to more subtle or more refined, or more, inner, or more inward, from outside to the inside. And here, you'll look there, there's three different kind of layers going inward. The first is being becoming aware of the body from the outside, what you can see from the outside. And then to become aware of the organs, and then to become aware of uh, the fluids that flow inside the organs and all the way around. So kind of this progressive step inward to deeper kind of ideas. And, um, and it's uh, you know, somewhat conceptual to have these different parts. You think about them. Some of them, you know, um, some of us probably have never actually seen uh, some parts of our inner body. You know, if, if maybe you've been to an anatomy lab and maybe you've seen some of it. And, 
or seen in an animal, but um, but to imagine, you know, where your body, where these parts are, and to see them, is um, part of the exercise. So it's kind of using your concepts, using your imagination, to um, evoke uh, and see different parts of your body. So it's, this is the, this is how the instructions are giving, given. A person reviews this very body up from the soles of the feet down from the top of the of the hair bounded by skin as full as full of many kinds of here the word is impurity or uncleanliness thus in this body there are head hairs body hairs nails teeth skin flesh sinews bones bone marrow kidney heart liver diaphragm spleen lungs intestines uh, mesentery i don't know what mesentery is so i can't imagine it contents of the stomach feces bile phlegm pus blood sweat fat tears grease spittle snot oil of the joints and urine so they usually say they say there's 32 of these parts to pay attention to and in thailand in some of the uh, monastic traditions this is the first meditation uh, practice that are given to new monks and new monks and nuns and they're they're taught to memorize this list and then to go through that list, kind of, kind of like a little bit like a memorization thing, you repeat and to yourself over and over again, and and uh, you get pretty focused. You know, you really remember all those parts, and to recite it to yourself over and over again is like a mantra or like a little liturgy that you repeat. But you're not supposed to do it just like a mantra or a liturgy. You're supposed to actually go through them, and then focus your attention or your imagination on that part of your body. And it's possible to get very concentrated if you really get into it, your mind's not going to wander. Your mind's not going to be concerned with how are you going to uh, uh, get oil and your oil change in your car, you know, or, or, you know, what happened at work or what you're doing tomorrow or whatever your distracted mind does. You're kind of, you're kind of honing the mind to be really present for something that you're concentrating on. And it's, you know, it's using concepts and ideas to do it, to get the, to get concentrated. And it's using concepts that have to do with one's own body. So we're bringing the attention here and coming inward and really imagining or f- connected here. One of the functions this has, this kind of focus, is to um, uh, begin breaking the habit, the strong habit we have, of taking ourselves as a whole unit. You know, me, myself, and mine. Uh, and to think, you know, just I think in terms of I. But rather think that rather than I, we think we're made up of these different parts. And as we realize we're made up of different parts, it tends to kind of loosen up the hard grip we might have of uh, thinking only in terms of me, myself, and mine. Um, and uh, and this is one of the enterprises of Buddhism is to try to loosen up the grip of those strong attachments to self. Um, the um, and the classic, the old texts talk about this exercise as an exercise that helps free us from conceit. And it does also, the ancient text talks about this exercise 
as an exercise that also is supposed to help certain people who need it, not those who don't need it, uh, to help them uh, be free of over-preoccupation over with sensual lust. And, uh, and the idea is you're supposed to do the same, imagine all these parts of the person you're attracted to. And um, so it's not like a policy, you're supposed to always be thinking people about that way. But uh, it does happen from time to time that um, uh, someone, I'm sure none of you, but it happens from time to time that, um, that people sit down to meditate and it's hard to get focused in meditation because uh, they have uh, thoughts about uh, sexual attraction, sexual interest, sexual fantasies. And, um, and so, and I think, I think actually not a few people, quite a few people uh, uh, will sooner or later succumb to sexual fantasies and sit there. And, and as a teacher, I've heard some you know, wonderful stories of people. Not, not, I didn't hear the details, but people will come and tell me you know, that you know, I can't get rid of these. I can't stop. I keep going there. And, and um, so, um, so, some, so the people who find they're too caught up in thoughts of sex and sexuality, uh, then this exercise is given. You know, imagine him, imagine her, you know, go through the list. Oils of the joints, <laughs> grease, spittle, urine. So maybe it works. Um, and, um, and then it has an interesting simile to describe this exercise. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. And a person with good eyes were to open it and review it thus. This is hill rice, this is red rice, this is beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So too, a person reviews one's body for all these different body parts that was listed. And I love this analogy, you know, the bag with uh, opening on both ends is uh, kind of, you know, like us. <laughs> We're open in both ends, the mouth and the other end, and, uh, and food goes through. Uh, so I think that's supposed to be kind of a simile for the human body. And if you open the bag at one end and look at those beans, um, you know, uh, a lot of these beans, beans and uh, grains are quite beautiful. You know, if you've gone to some kind of uh, open market where the grains are being sold in baskets and beautiful colors, you know, and beautiful to see the shapes and the smoothness and all these things, it's kind of, I think it's quite nice. So, um, so the, the idea of looking at this bag, I think it's like jewels, kind of special to kind of look in, but you clearly see the distinction between different parts. If you, the bag is closed, it's just a bag. But if you open it, you see, you see it's a bag of all these individually different things. So in the same way, one sees these different parts of one's, oneself. And, um, and uh, it gets the mind focused. It gets the mind uh, orienting, oriented towards oneself in different ways than how we usually think about ourselves. The strong, strong habits begin to weaken. The strong habits of conceit, the strong habits of seeing us, you know, as, you know, as solitary way, single way. So, um, matter of fact, just, so I think I'll go through the list again. 
And, um, and there's a wonderful uh, colleague, uh, the Vipassana teacher in Santa Cruz named Bob Stahl, who for years has been teaching uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction in El Camino Hospital in Mountain View. Some of you are probably here, took his MBSR class. Is that true? Anybody here for taking his class? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, um, and um, in his uh, kind of uh, other guise, he's a Buddhist teacher. And when he's a Buddhist teacher, one of his favorite uh, uh, practices he likes to teach is the 32 parts of the body. He's done this practice a lot for himself, and then he teaches people. And he does like, I don't know, um, I don't know how long it is, maybe it's a 32-week course or something. And he goes through each, each part, and the people learn to meditate on it and get focused. Then somewhere about two-thirds of the way through the course, he takes people to the anatomy lab at the local college, and they get to look at you know, what it looks like under the skin and to help them in their practice of 32 parts of the body. So here, here it is again. A person reviews this same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the top of the hair, bounded by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity. Thus, in this body, there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. You realize you had all those stuff in there? And um, so that's uh, uh, doing this repeatedly as a practice, then uh, one of the byproducts or one of the results of this is that your ability to be aware in this clear, open way, be really present without being any preoccupation or agitation kind of mucking up your awareness, becomes stronger. Awareness becomes stronger. To develop the practice further and deeper, to develop deeper states of calm and greater states states of clarity, uh, you want to then uh, drop the conceptual level, these ideas of hair and teeth and all that, because these, those are concepts we have. And rather than focusing on the concepts, we want to switch to focusing on the sensation level of what we can feel. We don't really need concepts to, f- to feel it. Maybe we need concepts to understand what we're feeling, but the feelings themselves directly are not conceptual. So to give you an example, uh, to lead you in an example, uh, I'd like to do a very simple exercise with you of practicing mindfulness of your hand. And so what I'd like to ask you to do is, as you are, from, just close your eyes. Not, not, it's not a long thing. Just close your eyes and bring your attention into your right hand. And begin feeling the sensations that are in your hand there. 
the sensations in the palm of your hand. The top of the hand. The fingers. And you might be aware of pulsing, tingling, vibration, pressure. If your hand is touching something, the sensations of contact against maybe your leg, your thigh, the other hand. You might feel temperature, warmth, coolness. A very gentle breeze. Now as you feel the sensations in and of themselves, in a certain kind of way, there is no hand. They're just, in the world of sensations, there's just sensations surrounded by space, maybe with no clear boundary between the sensations and the space around it. And it's possible to feel the sensations of the hand without actively involving yourself in thoughts, this is a hand. Just sensations. And then you can open your eyes and now you can look at your hand and you can think about your right hand or both hands, and you might think about, you know, where these hands have been over your lifetime and what they've done for you, and you might think about your ideas about your hand, and some people don't like their hands, some people like their hands, the fingers are too short, too long, too fat, the fingernails, they're not behaving properly. And we get into a world of ideas and concepts of what it means to have a hand and what it's done, and Someone the other day told me that they spent some time looking at their hand and they felt so grateful. And they felt, yeah, oh, I, never, I never thanked my hands for, they've been along all along for the ride and they've been doing so much. So then we get involved in concepts and memory and histories and comparing hands to ideal hands and all this stuff. And it gets complicated. And some of you, it's possible, some of you suffer because of your hands. You know, the fingers are too short or too long or this or that. And, it's just not, just not the, you know, you know, what fashion model hands should really look like or something. You know, we have this idea. Um, so once we get into the world of concepts and ideas, it can get complicated. But if we stay with the eyes closed and don't think of the ideas, but just feel the sensations, the sensations themselves uh, of the hand, chances are most of those sensations uh, were independent of 
the concepts and ideas we have and the judgments we might have about the hand or the gratitude we have, it's just sensations. So in this way, if we rest attention in the sensations of the hand, the mind can get quiet. If we look at the hand and start thinking about it and what the hand has done and what we think about hands and how my hand compares to my neighbor's hands and then it gets complicated and the mind can easily start spinning out and thinking and getting involved and doing all kinds of things. So if you want the mind to get quiet, then you want to be able to put to rest for a short while that conceptual side and just stay with the direct sensations. And the way that this exercise in direct sensations is described, it's exercise in the four, what's called the four elements. And in the ancient world of India, they had the idea that the world is made up of four primary elements. Earth, water, fire, and air. Or sometimes it's, uh, see, or sometimes it's called wind. Let's see, how does it say it here? Here they call it air. Earth, water, fire, and air. And, um, and when this is applied to our body, it refers to uh, a way of classifying the sensations of our body. That uh, the, uh, what's the earth elements of our body are felt as sensations of hardness and softness, solidity. The uh, water element is fluidity. So if you like feel the spit in your mouth and you take your tongue and wash it around, you feel that liquid. That's the water element that we feel. Uh, if uh, if you tear up um, by you know by some reason, you feel that water element in your eyes. The uh, so the the feeling of of uh, wetness, and then um, the f- fire element is temperature, and so um, hot and cold. Anytime you feel hot and cold, hot and cold, or anything in between. That's the, uh, called the fire element. So sensations of temperature. And the fourth one is um, air element is any sensation of movement that you have in the body. So, you know, since it's air, the obvious one would be gas. You, know, <laughs> you feel the movement of gas or something in your body. But uh, any movement at all. So they say, even though it's, we think of it as liquid, uh, if you feel the movement of uh, the blood going through that, that that would be classified as the uh, air element. Exactly what's these sensa- how these sensations fit into these fourfold classification is not that important. What it's, what it's trying to do is, is drop into what the, the sensory level of experience, the sensate level, the sensation level of experience, and, um, and uh, feel it there. And in fact, the way that I was trained in this vipassana practice that we do, trained in Burma and Thailand, was uh, primarily a meditation on these four elements, or primarily a meditation on the uh, staying present for the sensations in and of themselves in the body. And, um, and uh, nominally, it looks like they were teaching us um, breath meditation because we were told to pay attention to the rising and falling of the belly as we were breathing. And I did that in, Zen, in my Zen training, and that was called, you know, breath meditation. But in fact, in fact, that we're really focusing on breathing, but rather using the movement of the belly 
as a way of, of tuning into the, these four elements that were there. The movement that has happened, the pressure, the hardness, the softness, the temperature, all these different things that went on there. And getting more and more attuned to the simple sensation level. Now, some of you know that there's uh, much more pleasure in life sometimes, a sensual, sensual pleasure, if you're uh, present for it, <laughs> right? You know, you go and buy a very nice ice cream or you know, chocolate or something. And, um, but then, um, you know, uh, you're talking with a friend and they tell you a scintillating, fascinating story about something. And uh, you're just like eating, you know, like, well, that, you know, not really paying attention to eating. Um, and, uh, and you're just so interested in the story. And then you stop, uh, the story ends, and you look at your bag or your cone of ice cream or your bag of chocolate, and it's empty. It's gone. And so, oh, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't taste it. I just like was so preoccupied by the story that I just ate without really, versus, you know, you you take the chocolate and you close your eyes and you put it in your mouth and you let it melt there. And, and just like that oozes around your mouth, you feel so sensual and rich and the sweetness and the chocolateness. And it's like, you know, you could just like linger there for a long time. And you're so glad when you swallow it, the flavor just lingers there. And you, you don't want anyone to disturb it for a while. Or, you know, if a friend of yours comes along to offer you a massage, you know, rub your shoulders or something. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, you're, you know, really busy doing a crossword puzzle and, you know, you're thinking about, you know, you know, doing your puzzle and you're really getting close to finishing it all and you don't have much time, so you can't really focus on anything else, you know, and they're massaging your shoulders and it's very different than like just not thinking about anything and just, oh, just really being present for it. So, uh, this, this sensory level is a, of, a, of attention is uh, more pr- deeper, more primary, and more intimate, more connected to ourselves than anything that we can, uh, we can be involved in the conceptual level. And so as this development of mindfulness de- uh, continues, the idea is to uh, move to this more subtle area and develop concentration, develop mindfulness on the physical sens- sensations of the body. And this is one of the great things to do because as we become more attuned to our body, more aware of what goes on in the body, the information that is in the body becomes uh, available to our intelligence, to how we understand ourselves, understand the world around us. There's a tremendous amount of information in the body about uh, uh, how the world affects us, what's going on inside of us, our psychological states, our emotional states, our impulses, our attitudes, our intuitions, our, our um, you know, so much, you know, uh, is processed through our body. And, uh, and so to learn how to be centered in the body does a number of things. It helps us to be not so caught up in our head and all the ideas we have in our head, which for some people is a labyrinth or a, no, not a labyrinth, but a maze that they'll never get out of if they only stay in their head. Uh, so it gets us out of our head and, and then it helps us become aware of a much richer aspects of our life. Our emotional life becomes richer and more free when we're centered in our body. We have access, a- access to much more information 
And so we can be wiser about what goes on. We can respond more effectively to the world and know how to take care of ourselves much better. And um, awareness doesn't only remain uh, thoughtfulness, thinking. It doesn't only, awareness is not on, doesn't only stay something that's in the head, um, uh, closely connected to concepts and ideas. But awareness becomes something that kind of glows throughout the body or, you know, it's not, it's not located in the head. It's not, when I was, um, probably before I started Buddhism, if someone had asked me, um, where is awareness for you? I probably would have pointed to my head, my brain. After I practiced for some time, if someone had asked me where awareness is, I would have pointed to my chest. And then now, if someone asked me where awareness is, uh, I don't point to anything. I would just uh, open my eyes really wide and kind of make a big arc and open up. It's, it's here. It's everything. There's not, it's not, awareness is not located anywhere anymore, but it's all-inclusive. And, and part of the reason for that, that I can feel that, is um, because of the, it's supported by this more expanded or more richer or more uh, wider um, uh, capacity for awareness that is available if we're centered in our body, connected to our body, that is not available if we are, you know, the primary way we're processing the world is through our, our thoughts and ideas and stories that we have. So this particular exercise, the exercise on the elements, is, uh, is really uh, very deeply connected to the classic Vipassana tradition, the classic mindfulness tradition. It's kind of like one of the core practices to do that. It's more core than, um, in some ways, than, mindfulness of, than just mindfulness of breathing. And, um, and beginning to kind of, things begin to open up uh, sometimes much more effectively for people in meditation practice when they really learn to center themselves in their body and, start tuning into the sensory level. For people who do use breathing, uh, it becomes um, uh, not following the air or the, just the movement, but start tuning into um, the, uh, the rich kaleidoscope uh, uh, flow of sensations that arise and pass, that occur as we take a breath. As we breathe in, as we bring it, bring it out, there's actually a, a dozens of sensations that come into play that ripple through. And so begin to rest the attention in, in the parts of the body where we experience breathing and feel the four elements is a part of the centering, focusing, concentrating uh, way of cultivating a heightened sense of awareness. So in, uh, in conclusion, I'd like to say that um, what we're seeing in these 13 exercises now we've gone through five of them, is a progression from, um, uh, from what's supposed to be more obvious and available to us, paying attention to that, and then start, as we get more calm and centered, to begin progressively begin looking deeper and deeper into ourselves, to what's more intimate and connected. And here we've now seen um, into the sensate level of our life. And uh, next week we'll take a, a, a little bit of a detour from this route to look at um, uh, the, the sixth exercise, which has to do with death and, uh, and how a certain particular contemplation of death 
can be in the service of developing a heightened awareness, this heightened, free, clear awareness that, um, that we're looking for in this mindfulness tradition. Okay, so um, thank you.